So shalom again, and we are in the series, The Gospel According to Moses and the Book of Exodus, and we're in Lesson 33, which is Part 2 of our series, where we're focusing in on Exodus 12, and we're in verses 1 through 14. Let's read the first six verses in Chapter 12 of Exodus. And again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be be the beginning of months for you. It It is to be the first month of the year to you. So Happy New Year. This is God's New Year. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of this month, they are to each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. And we've already discussed that. It's not an unblemished male, a year old. This is just a terrible mistranslation. In Hebrew, it really says that the lamb or the goat shall be an unblemished male. That's a yearling. In other words, a year old or less. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So in Lesson 32, which was part one of the series, we asked why is are these 14 verses, and we just read the first six, why is this put here? I mean, we're in between Moses' warning to Pharaoh in chapter 11 that at midnight all the firstborn of Egypt are going to be killed, executed throughout the entire land. So we're between that warning and we're between that actual day, whenever that day is going to be, because Pharaoh doesn't know and Moses didn't say. So why is this put in here? And all the other plagues, you'd say, okay, here's the plague and it's going to happen tomorrow. Boom, it happened the next day. There was no delay. Nothing inserted. But here, something is inserted. And we asked why. And from from Nahum Sarna in the JPS Torah commentary to Dennis Prager in his Torah commentary, the Rational Bible, the book of Exodus, it's almost as if the Lord is saying to the Hebrews, okay, This is it. However, before all this happens, it's time to step up, you guys. It's time to show me that you're going to turn back to me. Now, this makes sense because in previous lessons, way back at the beginning, we talked about the fact that there seems to be biblical proof that the Hebrews had turned away from God and assimilated into the Egyptian culture, assimilated into the mythology and religion and the worship of the Egyptian gods. So God seems to be saying, okay, this is it. But now you've got to step up. You've got to show me that you want to come back to me. So this ritual that is being developed in chapter 12, which we call the Passover meal, Passover meal of the Exodus, which I like to term the Passover meal of Moses. That's to distinguish it from the Passover meal, the the Last Supper of Jesus, which I'm going to call the Passover meal of the Messiah. So I'm going to be using that phrase, 
Passover meal of Messiah uh, of Moses to indicate the Passover Jewish Seder and the Passover meal of the Messiah that is we know as the Last Supper. So this ritual seemingly is what God wants them to do. So we come to that one verse and it talks about the fact of why the 10th day and the Torah is silent. It doesn't say, okay, it's on the 10th day and you're going to hold it until the 14th. What is going on here? Now, in the JPS Torah commentary, Nahum Sarna, brilliant Jewish uh, scholar, he indicates that, yes, the Torah is silent, but there must be something special about the 10th day. There seems to be some ancient significance that they may have understood then that we don't understand now and God did not inspire Moses to explain himself. So Nahum Sarna talks about a couple examples. Joshua crosses the Jordan on the 10th of the first month. And that's in the book of Joshua. Crosses the Jordan on the 10th of the first month. The first month meaning Nisan, the month of Passover. So it wasn't Rosh Hashanah, it's Nisan, it's God's New Year. Now, Yom Kippur, actually Yom Kippurim in Hebrew, in the Torah, is a very sacred day, one of the, the, the sacred day in Judaism. It's on the 10th of the seventh month, again, the 10 again. Another example is Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, in Hebrew, he lays siege to Jerusalem on the 10th day of the 10th month. So we got a double 10 going on here. What's that all about? Again, the 10th day on the 10th month. Now the rabbis have their own view because again, the Torah is silent. So Orthodox rabbis will do a midrash and they'll try to put their own two cents in here to try to give us an understanding of why. So reading from the Orthodox Jewish commentary called the Chumash, commenting on this, the rabbis say the general rule is that all animals used for offerings must be re-examined for blemishes for four days. Now let me just stop there for instance. The general rule, what general rule? It's not in the Bible anywhere. You will not find any statement about sacrificial animals having to be observed for a number of days before a sacrifice. So this general rule is a general rule made up by the rabbis. Now, I have no problem about that. I wish the rabbis in the Chumash would have said something like, the general rule we rabbis have suggested is that all animals used for offerings must be examined for blemishes for four days, and that's what we do. But they didn't say that. The implication here when you read it, and it can, can be confusing if you're using this resource and not understanding what's going on in, in terms of what a rabbinic midrash is. They, they say the general rule is, and they don't explain themselves. This is it, you guys. So to continue, the rabbis say this examination need not necessarily be done by the owner. 
he is free to purchase an animal that had been examined by the seller and found to be blemish-free. Consequently, Rashi, a great Jewish scholar in the Middle Ages, comments that the commandment of this verse, that the owner himself must set aside his Pesach offering on the 10th of Nisan, applies only to the Pesach offering in Egypt. Now, that sounds reasonable, right? I agree. But again, rabbis are adding laws into the Bible that are not there. Now, I have no problem with the fact that this is something that they practice. But they should say that this is what we're going to do about this. This is not a Torah law. It's not in the Bible. Again, the rabbis are adding things into the Bible. And the way they write it, we imply that it, it implies to us, oh, the rabbi said it's got to be true. No, it isn't. Their words used imply that this is of God. It isn't. So the tenth day still has no definite answer that can be backed up. Now there's another side note I'd like to bring up here. And that's in Jesus' day. He arrives in Jerusalem during what we would call Passion Week on Palm Sunday. Now in 33 AD, and there are some great resources to actually discover what day 33 AD or what day Passover would have been in 33 AD. It happens to be on a Friday. But Palm Sunday actually would have been, or, or yeah, Palm Sunday would have been on the 9th of Nisan. That's Sunday. But Lamb Selection Day would be on Monday, the 10th of Nisan. But Jesus came in on the first day of the week. Because Passover on Nisan 14 happens to be on Friday. Now, I find this fascinating. In 30 AD, using scientific resources, Lamb Selection Day would have been a Sunday. Nisan 10 would have been on a Sunday in 30 AD. And this makes sense. Jesus, he's the lamb picked by his father on Lamb Selection Day. Now, without going into an in-depth discussion on this, 30 AD, it fits even more from the Jewish culture, the events in the Bible, as opposed to 33 AD. But our tradition that has been come down to us for at least a thousand years and maybe more is that Jesus was crucified on Friday, Nisan 14 in 33 AD. However, the Bible itself doesn't give us the year, and there has been a lot of debate, and I happen to look upon the fact that I believe that 30 AD was the year that Jesus was crucified because it just fits the Bible perfectly. Now, I wanted to let you know I have a chapter from one of my books that's available to you. And I've retitled it Palm Sunday, 30 or 33 AD. And you can have that article, multiple, multiple pages, if you want to email me. If you email me, I will be glad to email you that article. And 
for Light of Menorah, you can contact me at lom.ministries at gmail.com. L-O-M, the three letters, L-O-M, a period, and then the word ministries at gmail.com. L-O-M.ministries at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to send you that link for your further study. Now we get into verse 4, and it really implies that this ritual that God wants his people to practice as a sign probably to the Lord that they're coming back to him, it's a community event. In other words, it's not about me. I remember one time I was teaching in a foreign country, and somebody had come to me there, it happened to be in Africa, and they asked me, what if I'm alone and I have nobody to do the Passover with? That's a very interesting question, especially in the 21st century. However, in those days, 1446 BC, it's not about me. It's about us and family and community. In other words, that individual person must find the family that he can join to actually go through the ritual of the Passover meal and to eat the sacrificed lamb on Passover. It reminds me of Jesus and his disciples, the disciples who wanted to be like Jesus. They're sent out as Jesus was sent out, but he sent them out two by two, not alone, not as individuals, but us in community. So we join up with our neighbor also reminds me of the other picture that Jesus paints in John 15. He is the one true vine. And we, we, all of us together as one, are branches. It's a community. In other words, there's not a vine and you're the only branch on that vine. We're all branches of that vine. We're in a community. Us in Jesus and Jesus in us. It's not about me. But it's about me and you, all of us together, as community. This is also found in another picture. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, we read that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we actually go into the Greek, we find that the you that's mentioned in that verse in the Greek is the second person plural. So another way of actually translating that would be, you all are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Here we go again with the idea of community. It's not about we're little temples running around. I have met people who have said, oh yeah, my, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And even in that verse, the you in there, your body is plural. It's a, a second person plural. It means you all are, your body is the, the temple, not a temple. And God over and over again, biblically, is basically saying, it's not about us. Don't focus on your own needs. Don't focus on your own emotions or feelings. Don't, emo don't, don't focus in on everything that you want. It's about us together as community. This happens over and over and over again. In Jesus, we see it all over the place, and now we see it, obviously, 
in the Torah right here that the Passover meal is about community. We are together. So for me, when I take a look at the church broken up into so many denominations, denominationalism, that we're not one in Christ, we're not one in Messiah Jesus, we don't look upon ourselves as one temple, as one family gathered around the Passover table. It seems to be a cause of denominationalism, this feeling of I'm right, you're wrong, separation. As Jesus said, one of the strong evidences of us being his that we would be one and that we would love one another. We would be one in each other. So we're not little temples running around. We're one temple. And we should rejoice in that, that we are community, regardless of the denomination of the church that we belong to. And this is so apparent right here as it comes out of that Passover meal. In verse 6, you have to keep it to the 14th day. Well, why wait four days from the 10th to the 14th? Now, we've already covered the rabbinic view. In other words, they're going to check to make sure that the animal that's supposed to be sacrificed on Passover has no blemishes. I, I have no problem with that. But it's non-biblical, and it has no biblical support. It has a rabbinic support. And they made up a rule. And I, I see no problem with the rule, but again, when you're reading the way they write it, it's as if this is it, you guys, and there's no other choice. Dennis Prager talks about this. He refers to Nahum Sarna in the JPS Torah commentary and in Prager's The Rational Bible Exodus talks about the 14th day. He says, the Israelites have to acquire the lamb on the 10th day of the month, but they are not allowed to slaughter it until twilight on the eve of the 14th day, four days later. The lamb was to be slaughtered at the end of the daylight hours of the 14th day, immediately used for marking the doors, and then roasted for the meal that night. Now here's Sarna. He's saying, this waiting period might have been intended to test the Israelites' faith. Could they maintain a faith in God that was stronger than their fear of the Egyptians? Remember, if they sacrifice a ram, a yearling lamb, they would be executed. Who could attack them? The Egyptians. They could attack them at any moment for preparing to slaughter one of their gods. It's an interesting view. And again... As Dennis Prager stated, and as Nahum Sarna stated in the JPS Torah commentary, it's, it's his opinion, it's his view. However, there might be another far more compelling reason. This night, the first night of Passover, was a full moon. This is in Now, once again, without going into a lot of discussion about it, the biblical calendar is a lunar calendar. 
the first day of the month is always the night of the first moon. The last day of the month is the waning moon, and so all of a sudden the moon disappears. And right in the middle, on the 15th of the month, is the full moon. Passover, and, and remember another thing about the Hebrew biblical calendar, is sundown is always the beginning of a new day. So here's the 14th day of Nisan, Passover. That's when the lamb is going to be sacrificed at twilight. Sundown happens, and now it's to the 15th. So that night is the night of of the full moon. Now, we're going to read later on in Exodus 12, verse 12, that God is going to be executing judgments on all the gods of Egypt. Now, listen to this. In the 18th dynasty, in 1446 BC, the Egyptians worshipped a trinity. And it happens to be three gods in their trinity. Later on, this trinity actually began to have temples inside the Karnak temple complex. The trinity was Amun-Ra, the sun god, the main god, the mighty god. He had a wife, which was the second god of the trinity. Her name was Mut. And Mut, in ancient Egyptian means mother. She's the wife of Amun-Ra, and she's the goddess of the earth. She's the mother goddess. Matter of fact, she's pictured with the double crown of Egypt. In other words, the red outside with the white inside, meaning that she is the mother and protectress of all Egypt. So you have Amun-Ra, dad, Mut, the mother, and they had one son. His name was Kansu. He was their one and only son. He was their firstborn. So he's the only son of Amun-Ra and Mut. And you can check this out. Great articles all over the place on the internet on the gods of Egypt. One place is called worldhistoryedu.com. All one word. World History, E-D-U, treat that all as one word, worldhistoryedu.com, and there's a search window there, and you can search for their son's name, Kansu, K-H-O-N-S-U, K-H-O-N-S-U, and you'll get the article on Kansu, the firstborn son of Amun-Ra and Mut. Thus, Kansu was the firstborn. Now, he's depicted as a young man, bald, except for the lock of a prince. Now, again, you can go into some great resources that are available on the Internet. I, I wish you had all the books that I had on Egypt, but in the 18th dynasty, the lock, the prince's lock, is the prince, and it means that's the firstborn son. So Pharaoh, his firstborn son, whoever he was, how, how old he was, would probably have the prince's lock. He'd be the next Pharaoh. And the firstborn on that fateful night will be executed. It would be the 15th of Nisan, the night 
of the full moon. Again, Kansu, the firstborn of Amun Ranmut, he was also known as the moon god. And the firstborn of Egypt will be executed on the night of the full moon when Kansu is shown at his brightest. Amun-Ra was shown powerless on the ninth plague. Remember the ninth plague? That was all total darkness. Three days of thick darkness. Now his only son, Kansu, the moon god, will also be marginalized on the night of the full moon. And Mut, the mother goddess, can't protect her son. She can't protect anybody in Egypt. This blew me away. Never, ever has the Passover become such an awesome, powerful event to me. I, I'm Guys, I'm giving you historical fact. Historical fact about Egypt in 1446 B.C. Now, in other plagues, God picked a specific time. But with all the facts that we just see, it seems as if he's picking a specific time again. Recall, in Exodus 11, verse 4, at midnight, God would execute the firstborn. Matter of fact, I'm going to read that from the NASB. Here it is. Moses says, Thus says the Lord, about midnight, I'm going to I'm going out into the midst of Egypt. And then in verse 5, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Here's the Hebrew, though. We need to look at this. The Hebrew in Exodus 11, verse 4, is Ve Yomer Moshe, Ko Amar, Yahweh, now, to try to translate right from the Hebrew into English, basically it's this, and said Moshe, thus says the Lord, midnight I will go out. There's no mention of what day. It doesn't say at midnight today or midnight tonight, or midnight tomorrow. It doesn't say. It says, at a midnight. God is not telling them what day. It's going to be a terrible surprise. I wonder if anybody figured it out. I wonder if the Hebrews figured it out. They knew what night. The night of the full moon firstborn of Amun-Ra will be shown to be nothing. Kansu, the moon god, shown to be false, and Mut, the mother, the protector of all of Egypt, can't do a thing about it. So again, when God says he's going to execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt, especially against the trinity that was worshipped by all Egypt in the 18th dynasty, this is so Awesome. Now we're going to end part two here. We have more to get into. The awesome things that we're going to learn about Passover. The awesome things we're going to learn about this Passover and how it relates 
to Jesus. We're dealing with the Passover meal of Moses, that meal, this event, that happened only once, because every other Passover after this is only to remember. This is it. So I call their Passover meal that night the Passover meal of Moses. How is that connected again to Jesus' Last Supper, the Passover meal of the Messiah? So I will see you in Lesson 34, which is Part 3 of this series. So until then, Shalom.